0: Did you know that you can ask guests your questions?
1: That's right. When you join our locals community, not only will you know who we're about to interview, you have the opportunity to ask them your questions. You have the chance to ask Jordan Peterson, the co-founder of Extinction Rebellion, Nigel Farage, Douglas Murray, Andrew Doyle, Jeff Norcott, Simon Evans, Larry Elder, David Badil, Andrew Sullivan, Megan Kelly, Julia Hartley Brewer, Lord Nigel Lawson, Brett Weinstein, Inaya Falarin Iman, Dr. David Nutt, Jimmy Dore, Gad Sad, Blair White, Melissa Chen, Trevor Phillips, Ian Hersey Ali, Glenn Lowry, Bridget Fettersy, Jim Rickards, Carl Benjamin, and so many more. Plus, we're about to interview some of the biggest guests
0: in the world. We can't name them just yet, but trust me, they're huge. Metaphorically speaking, not just because they're American.
1: Our Locals gives you access to a great community of like-minded people, where you can share memes and make new and problematic friends. You also get early access to live shows, and we're about to release details of our tour, so you'll want to know about that as well. On the higher tiers, you get monthly supporter calls and the opportunity to have a meal or a call with us.
0: Click the link below, or go to trigonometry.locals.com
2: and
1: join the community. That's trigonometry.locals.com. We'll see you there.
2: I did not realize how young the kids are when they start them on the actual medical transition part of it. How,
0: I, how young are they, Matt?
2: Well, I mean, as young as, uh, as, young as 10, 11 years old when they start them on the, on the hormones and you get into puberty blockers, the surgery especially. I, I a year and a half ago, I didn't realize that they were actually, that they really were mutilating kids. I thought that, you know, this is something that starts at the age of 18, but no, I mean, they, they chopped the breasts off of uh, 13, 14 year old girls, even younger sometimes.
0: Hello and welcome to Trigonometry on the Road from the USA and we're recording in the Daily Wire studios. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kissing And this is a show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people.
1: Our brilliant and rather controversial guest today is the author of What is a Woman? The brilliant documentary that you have heard about by now. Matt Walsh, welcome to Trigonometry. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a real pleasure. Thank you for making the time. You're a very busy guy. We've got half an hour with you, so I'm not gonna mess around. We'll get straight into
2: Why did you decide to make the movie? Well, because uh, gender ideology, which is what the movie is really about, is, uh, I think, a scourge on Western civilization. It's, uh, it's, it's plunging, you know, children, especially into lives of confusion and uh, identity crisis and despair. Uh, you know, I think everyone kind of notices this when you look around. It's, it's like, it seems like everyone's lost their minds. And over the last like five or ten years um, were questions that were once pretty simple to everybody and so simple you didn't even think about them, now are, are confusing and, and um, basic concepts about you know life are now confusing to people. And so the movie is sort of like, what, what, first of all, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. How widespread is this problem actually? And then once we've established that to get into exposing you know, where it comes from and, and everything else.
1: And when you say how widespread it is, that's one of the interesting points that we are kind of exploring at the moment is, it seems quite often one side is focusing on the extremist on the other side and presenting that as the entirety of the other side. So how widespread did you find that this issue was? How, what, you know, what percentage of the population think that you can just change your sex by you know, cutting bits off yourself or whatever it is?
2: Uh, it's, uh, from what I found, it's very widespread, it, and that's, that's something that I was a little bit surprised by. Now, I knew that this was a, 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 a big problem, which is why we made the movie to begin with. I knew it was pervasive, but I thought, you know, even because we, we talked to ex- so-called experts in the film. We also did a lot of Man on the Street interviews um, and many that didn't make it into the film because it's only an hour and a half. And we talked to, I don't know, do- dozens and dozens and dozens of people. And what I found just going cities and towns across the country and talking to average people walking down the street is that uh, a lot of these sort of half-baked notions that I hear from the gender studies professors and therapists are also coming out of the mouths of just average people walking down the street um, in an even more half-baked way. Like for them, it's even more sort of undercooked that they don't, like they've picked up these ideas, they had not really thought much about them. Um, but they've picked them up is the point. And what I also found is that the the, the titular question of what is a woman was a stumper, not just to the so-called experts, but also to most average people walking down the street.
0: How much of uh, that do you think is fear-based? Because uh, like you said, we all know the answer to this question. Suddenly they get, you know, they're on camera. They've got a guy asking them questions. I mean, if they answer the wrong way, this could get them fired, couldn't it?
2: Yeah, I think, and that's 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 a big question too. Is is uh, why, the, especially the average folks that are seem to be confused. Are they actually confused, or are they just afraid to answer it? And I think it's a mixture of the two. I think it's a, but I think it's a lot more fear based. And and I know that actually for a lot of them because they told us that. There are there are many more who didn't appear in the film because they didn't want to be on camera, and they said to us that, well, I can't talk about that. I'll lose my job. I'll lose my friends. I'll you know, and they went through the whole list of uh, consequences. And so I, I think that there's this, that's the other thing people have picked up is that even if they haven't been explicitly told, it's that if you talk about this, you better be very careful because if you say the wrong thing, you know, we're gonna ruin your life.
0: I remember in 2016, my cousin went to Sussex University. I don't know if you've heard of it, it's, but it's the wokest university in the UK, infamous. And in, in a lecture in 2016, or rather a class, when he first got to the university, he was asked to declare his pronouns. This was in 2016. Do you think it started round about that time, or did it go back even further? Do you think?
2: Yeah, that's the thing. When you're when you're tracing the origins of this, you can kind of decide how far back you want to go. I mean, you could go back centuries if you want to. Want to? We we talked to someone in the film named uh, Carl Truman. He's a great author. Mm-hmm. Wrote a book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And. Um, which I would really recommend everybody read. Upcoming guest on our show. Great, and watch, watch, it, and and everyone should watch that show when, it, when he when he comes. And he's a really interesting guy. And he talks about the same question of like, how did this happen? What, why is it that? When, you know, he especially frames it as the statement, "I'm a man trapped in a woman's body," that seems to mean something to modern people. It wouldn't have meant anything to our grandparents. So, how is it that this statement means something to us? Mm-hmm. And he traces this back philosophically hundreds of years, right? And so you could do that. Um, you could kind of decide where you want to start. In the film, we trace it back kind of to a, to these landmark moments. We trace it back to uh, uh, Alfred Kinsey, John Money, mid-20th century, a sexologist sexologists and psychotherapists. And although they didn't invent all of the concepts, they did come up with, I think, what we know of today as, as gender ideology. John Money in particular coined some of these phrases um, like gender identity, he coined that phrase. So you could kind of, you could go back to there and these ideas start getting into, especially the institutions like academia, and they're kind of in these high level places, but then they, cut, they, they filter down you know, slowly at first, I think, into the general population. And seven or eight years ago, I think that's when it sort of exploded onto the mainstream it didn't start there, but that was the that's when the floodgates were open. And you could go to, you know, uh, Bruce Jenner coming out as Caitlyn Jenner, winning woman of the year. <laughs> um, that, for a lot of people, was the first time they were really confronted with, they may have heard of transgenderism before that, but that was the first time that it was really in their face. And um, And then from there, it was just kind of off to the races, I think.
1: And you mentioned people having their lives ruined. I hope you don't mind me saying there's quite a lot of security around your building here. Is that necessary? Have you had to have that to be able to make a movie like that?
2: Yeah, I mean, sadly, it's necessary in general, just because of what we all do here, um, and so that's the, a lot of the security is not specifically for me. It's just because this is what you know. This is this is the world we live in now, and um, but I could say for, for me in particular, when the movie came out, yeah, we got death threats, doxxed, all the rest of it, quite quite a lot of it, you know. Um, a lot of it that I haven't talked about in really specific terms, just even for security reasons. I can't even say some of the things people have said to me. And and that was all, you know, It it, that was all expected. Um, It shouldn't be expected, but we know that, and I'm certainly not the first first person to experience this, that trans activists are vicious on a level that other kinds of activists rarely reach. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think there are... Yeah, a lot of reasons for it. it's like some of it goes like in a deep psychological way. Um, I think trans activists can be even more vicious to, to women who stand up to them. Agreed. And I think part of the reason for that, if I'm just to like psychoanalyze them, is I think that there's some envy and jealousy. Actually, um, it's the male trans activists in particular who are who are the most vicious in my experience, and I think in the experience of women who who stand up to them. Uh, but then also it's it's there's like this idea that they're if you disagree with them that you are interfering with their self-perception and if you interfere with their self-perception it's like a form of murder they see because you if you if you if you take away how they perceive themselves or if you interfere with that or question it um then you're like destabilizing their perception of themselves. Do you think they actually think this?
1: Because I've always thought of it as a linguistic trick. It's a way of legitimizing violent behavior or threats of violence by claiming that, you know, you're erasing their existence when actually I think they realize they're still there, right? Or do you think they genuinely believe that by saying you can't change your biological sex, you are erasing them?
2: I think it's I think it's a mixture of both. I think there's a lot of drama and pageantry that goes into and anytime the outrage brigade gets into action, there's always there's always a lot of uh, people that are pretending to feel things they don't really feel. But 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 for some of them, it's, it's at some level they they do actually think that the most important thing about them is how they perceive themselves,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and um, and so you know if you're a man who identifies as a woman, then that's who you are. But it's this very fragile thing. And um, if they hear anyone question it, then they just sort of panic and lash out, sometimes violently, I think.
0: Matt, how do we separate the people who genuinely have gender dysphoria, which is a horrible mental illness, and they genuinely need support and treatment for dealing with that illness and this ideology? How do we separate that? Still having compassion for, for people with gender dysphoria, but also criticizing and challenging the not so elements of the ideology?
2: Well, first of all, when you're dealing with the, the concepts on a general scale, I, I don't think you have to separate it because what we're talking about is just the truth. So if someone is saying something that isn't true, our first goal should be to affirm and, and defend the truth. So the, the reason why they're wrong about what, what they're saying is almost immaterial in my mind. Um, the first thing that matters, the first thing they have to establish is the truth. Men are men and women are women, period. So that's our first thing. And if we want to get into the specifics of like, why are there so many people that are confused about this in their own, for themselves? Um, yeah, I think, I think then, especially if you're dealing with someone on a personal level, like one-on-one to, to understand where this is coming from is important. But we also have to realize that, that gender dysphoria, people who are, you know, for reasons that are almost unexplainable, really actually confused about this, that's, a, that's a, such a small minority, such a small sliver. And all you have to do is look back, you know, 100 years ago, how many people were confused about their gender? Like, how many how many men were going around who really thought that they were women? I'm sure there were some, like, very, very small number. And they were mentally ill. It's a mental illness. And uh, if we were still a sane society, we would treat that with therapy, counseling. It's what you do for mentally ill people. You treat their minds to the best of your ability. Um, this astronomical rise, though, in transgender identification, that's obviously not uh, just mental illness. It's not something people are born with. There's something happening in the culture, clearly. Because... Yeah, yeah go ahead.
0: In, because in the film, like the first half an hour was really funny. I was sitting there with the lads and we were, you know, we were laughing. We're going like, oh, this nutball's saying this. I people. wasn't
1: laughing. I saw all the trouble coming. Up.
0: Yeah, but... <laughs> I was laughing because I think it, you, you exposed these elements of it and it was comically humorous. But then what was terrifying is when we saw the medical professionals, the doctors affirming this. Did you expect that? Because I certainly didn't.
2: Yeah, I think, well, that's one thing I, I was a little bit worried about actually with, with the film before it came out is that we, we knew we were going to have this tonal shift and I don't know, is it, is it too abrupt? Is it, it's kind of weird? And it is abrupt and weird, but at the same time, I think it's also necessary that... Like on the surface level, th- th- this is absurd, and so we laugh at absurdity, which is an appropriate response. Um, but then you go a little bit under the surface, you see there's some really sinister stuff going on, and that's when you get into the, the doctors who are um, encouraging, you know, who are sort of spreading this plague and doing it in, in a really intentional way, and and doctors who I think certainly know better. And you know, we talked to one. A pediatrician in the film, uh, Forcier, who prescribes these drugs, chemical castration drugs, to to children. And um what what was so revolting about that, aside from just you know, the obvious, is that when I talked to her, like she had no defense of the practice at all. She was not able to even begin to defend this, and yet she's doing it. And so that makes you think, well. If she can't defend it, then she must know that this is wrong. That's just my, you know, that, that that's my interpretation, is that a lot of these people know what they're doing is wrong, and yet they do it anyway. Why would they do it anyway? Well, one big thing is money. There's a, there's a huge financial incentive. We we'll get into that a little bit in the film, but you have to keep in mind there's billions of dollars, not for one individual, but, like, for these industries. There's billions of dollars at stake. Um, and you think about, you know, you've got a six-year-old kid who's, says that a six-year-old boy says he's confused about his gender. And if you were to just say to the six-year-old boy, oh, no, you're a boy, and help him to accept himself for who he is, then that's great. That's the right thing to do, but there's no money in that, right? If, on the other hand, you encourage him to go delve even deeper into that confusion, then that boy is worth thousands, if not millions of dollars to big pharma, therapists, doctors down the line. So I think there's a real financial incentive
1: and uh, you know we've interviewed a ton of people about this trans people who don't agree with some elements of this ideology uh other people gender critical feminist etc and yet i was still shocked by the second half of the movie were you shocked by what you found in uh, particularly with doctors and and professors i was
2: uh Yeah, that's the thing. Even when you encounter something that you already knew about intellectually, it's still shocking just to encounter it. Exactly. I I knew that so-called sex change or what they call gender affirmation surgeries now, which is a euphemism if i ever heard one, but uh, I knew that that was happening. And yet to sit across from someone who does this and hear them explain it, it's still shocking just to encounter it. And I was also shocked. There were some things I learned. Like before getting into the film, making the film, and researching it before we filmed it, I, I I did not realize how young the kids are when they start them on the actual medical transition part of it. How, I,
0: how young are they, Matt? I,
2: well, I mean, as young as uh, as young as 10, 11 years old when they start them on the on the hormones and you get into puberty blockers. The surgery, especially, I, I a year and a half ago, I didn't realize that they were actually that they really were mutilating kids. I thought that you know, this is something that starts at the age of 18. But no, I mean, they, they chop the breasts off of uh, 13, 14-year-old girls, even younger sometimes. I didn't, I didn't realize that. And it's um, I think a lot of people don't, don't realize that that's happening. And uh, hopefully now they do.
1: Well, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about is, I think you made a movie that whatever people think about you or your, where you're coming at it from is valuable. That's what I believe, genuinely. However, the temporary alliance between gender-critical feminists and right-wing conservatives like you uh, was always going to be temporary, and it now seems to be falling apart. Uh, you know, you had a, a spat on Twitter with J.K. Rowling mm. uh, and others. Uh, what do you make of the backlash uh, against the movie and against you from that side of the, of the debate?
2: Yeah, I think it's so. it was an alliance that lasted about 45 seconds, it would seem. Uh, which I guess was predictable. I, you know, to me, I, I, it's un, I find it unfortunate. It's not, it's not what I wanted. I mean, I, I've said from the very beginning, even before the movie came out, that, uh, which is one of the reasons why I've been very vocally been supportive of J.K. Rowling and said many times that I really respect the way that she stood up against the mob um, at great personal cost. And and, and stand, she stands to gain nothing personally from it, and yet she has. And I, I respected that. I still do. Um, and even if you have a billion dollars in the bank, it still takes guts to do it. And so she does it. So that's my, that's my view. I have, I have a lot of respect for anyone who stands up against these people and stands for truth. And if you're willing to do that on this subject, which is so, so important, and I think in so many ways, like it, this is a civilizational crisis we're dealing with. And so I, if, if, if you're on the right side of this, then I can join forces with you for this fight. And then we can get back to, you know, tearing each other apart. <laughs> after, after we're done with this, that's 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 how I look at it, um, and I think when the movie first came out, there was it seemed to me anyway, among some of these gender critical feminists, there was like this internal fight among them about well, what do we do? Do we do we do we link arms with this guy or what? And maybe for a brief moment in time, it's it seemed like maybe they would, but then ultimately, I think they just decided that they 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 can't do it. I think that. Um, Well, one of the
1: criticisms they made, Matt, was that you didn't include any of them in the movie. Well,
2: yeah, and that's, honestly, it's just not, it's it's nonsense.
1: First of all- they aren't
2: in the movie, right? Right, a couple of things. Even if it was true that I just decided I'm going to exclude them, well, who cares? Is this about you? I mean, is this about, what do you care about here? Do you care about the issue or do you care about yourselves? Like it would never, if, if, if a feminist, if J.K. Rowling did this documentary, it wouldn't even occur to me to say, well, why wasn't I in it? It just seems like such a petty, arrogant complaint. Who cares? So who said I should be in it? You made the film. You made it the way you wanted to make it. It's important. You did it well, and that's what matters. So I would champion the film for that reason. So I find the the complaint to begin with ridiculous. It's also just not true. We actually did reach out to um, a number of the so-called gender critical feminists. Maybe not as many as they wish we had. I also I'm not I don't live in the UK. I'm not plugged in with feminist circles. So. There are, there are some of these women that have reached out to me since the movie came out and said, why didn't you contact me? It's like, I didn't know you existed before <laughs> you just reached out to me. I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, we did reach out to a number of Do them. Do you mind if I ask just- who? I, I, I've decided not to, for their own sake, I'm not, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus because I don't, the, the, the truth is for some of these names, and there are some big names, okay? Um, I don't really know why they turned us down. So I think if I name them- and they, Oh, so they we, turned you down? Yeah, they were, okay. it just didn't work out. And so, but but if I name them, it sounds like I'm claiming that they refused to because they did not want to work with me or they were scared. I don't know if that's true. Maybe it just was a scheduling problem. Mm-hmm. All I can say is that for a fact, we did reach out and the, and the women that we reached out to know who they are. Okay. That's
1: it. And the other criticism that was made uh, was that you you don't act I mean I've heard some people say this it's not my opinion but it's an opinion that some feminists hold that actually you don't care particularly about women's rights this isn't where you're coming at it from you're just someone who's using this issue to advance your evil conservative agenda. Uh, what do you make of
2: that? I guess that's true if my evil conservative agenda <laughs> is just to preserve truth and and reality like that's that's what I care about. Uh, I make no bones about the fact that, I see some of these issues as, I care about some of these issues because they're a battleground for the overall war for truth. So um, women's sports, for example, do I care deeply about women's (laughs) sports itself? Do I wake up every day saying, I'm really concerned about women's women's sports? No, I don't watch women's sports. I don't care about it, you know, in, in general. But it has become a battleground for the war for truth. So um, when I'm being told that a man should be able to compete against women and be accepted as a woman, I'm saying, no, I, I don't accept that. That's insane. But what motivates me is not my unabiding love for women's sports in particular. It's just my, it's my love for truth and justice and fairness. It's also not fair. Like, even if I don't watch women swimming, it's really not fair to these women who are having their opportunities stolen from them.
0: You've used the word "civilizational crisis" to describe what we're talking about. Now there'll be people watching it going, "Come on, this is still a relatively minor thing. It's not affecting a huge swathe of the population. What does it matter if you put your pronouns in your in your email, etc.? Why is it a civilizational crisis, Matt?
2: Well, I think there are a, a few reasons, and, and the first I go back to the issue of truth. Like truth, truth matters for its own sake, and um, a civilization that fundamentally denies the most basic truths, the most basic realities of human existence cannot survive. And I say that because there's, it's never happened before. I mean, I can't think of a civilization that's been able to pull that off. It just said, we're going to swear off. We're, we're going to pretend we live in a different universe and continue on. You just, you can't thrive as a civilization that way. Um, so that's the ground level issue. But then also, I mean, we're, you look at what we're doing to children, children are being mutilated and sterilized on a mass scale. We talked before about the way that the transgender identification has risen mm-hmm. in recent years, and to just say that it's risen, I think, understates the case. We're talking about exponential. I mean, we're talking about, for the youngest generation, the transgender identification of the youngest generation is like 20 times what it was for my parents. Um, that's another reason why it's a civilizational crisis this exponential growth of this identity crisis this confusion and there's no sign that it's going to stop I mean you don't have 20 you don't have 20 times growth like that and then in the next generation it just goes away um, it, in, in fact we, we see it's like it's there's this for LGBT identification in general there's been a doubling of L- LGBT identification generation over generation doubling. Dating back to like my grandparents' generation, and then trans in particulars, astronomical rise there. Um, so I think that w- what we're seeing is that entire generations of kids being lost to this confusion, which leads ultimately to despair. What they tell us about the trans suicide rate is true. That you know the suicide rate is so much higher for for people identify as trans than it is for anyone else. But they're lying when they say that the way to solve the suicide rate is to affirm the trans identification. That's not, that's not what the data tells us. The data tells us that no matter how affirmed they are, get the surgeries, get all that, um, suicide rate is still high. In fact, they're, they're more suicidal after surgery than before. So, what, what, what that tells us is that this leads to despair, ultimately.
0: Matt, do you think that this is a symptom of something that is deeply wrong within Western society and Western culture, that it's merely a symptom? There's something actually far deeper and far darker going on there.
2: Uh, I think absolutely. And that's one Carl Truman will tell you a lot more about that. He'll speak more eloquently about it than I will. But uh, I, that, that's one thing that I noticed in, in these interviews is that um, so many of the interviews devolved pretty quickly into uh, well, what, what is truth? A college professor is a, is a famous, infamous example now that I talked to a college professor, turned into this, but really every single interview I had, especially even with people on the street, eventually turned into this like punch of, punches pilot. <laughs> what is truth? Is there a truth? Whose truth are we talking about? Um, and what that tells me is that the deeper thing going on is, is uh, relativism. You know, that's, that's, People are raised in our society to believe that we all have our own truth. Truth is whatever you say it is, whatever you feel is true, you know, and um, I can remember being raised, even when I was a kid, hearing this kind of thing all the time, and uh, so I think that's what's happening underneath all this. Really, this is, it is a war against truth, and it's, uh, what lies underneath all of it is just, is relativism. It's the rejection of, of uh, objective truth entirely.
1: And how much do you think of this as, a, as caused by technology? One of the things that I often think about is we now have the technology to do some of these surgeries in a way that we didn't have before. And obviously we now have technology to propagate the ideology in a way that we didn't have before. And those things coming together seems to me like two very powerful things that from my perspective offer well, perhaps an even better explanatory uh, option than, uh, you know, ideologues driving it. Like the ideology was there and then the technology came along to fuel it. Or is it more maliciously intended, you know, making money off it or whatever? What, what's your take? Uh,
2: I, I think I think it's all of the above, but um, you, you can—it's impossible to overstate the effects of technology. Now you're right that the technology for the actual surgeries has advanced quite a bit, but it's still a barbaric Frankenstein stuff they're doing, and it, it always will be. I mean, when you're when you're trying to construct false genitalia there's there's doesn't matter how advanced the 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 medicine is it's always going to be you're always it's always what you're doing you're constructing false genitalia which is always going to be barbaric um but the propagation i think is the big thing and uh here's what happens i think kids they go to school most most kids do uh like public schools and they spend five days a week right six seven hours a day nine months a year for 12 or 13 years and they're marinating in, in, in this peer culture where, where gender ideology now is just totally taken over. And then that's bad enough, but then they leave school, but they don't leave the peer culture behind because they carry it around with them. They have it in their pocket, they have it on their phone. So it just becomes this kind of like fog that they never escape, this choking fog they can never get away from. Um, and the, uh, the drive and compulsion when you're a kid To try to to try to fit in is overwhelming, and we we all remember it as kids. For a lot of adults, it's still overwhelming, but especially when you're a kid, and that's even more the case when they are when they can never escape their peers. And so, like you, you know, they're already driven to be to be accepted by their peers. But when you're around your peers all the time, even at home, you're still with them. Then, if you're not accepted by them, then it becomes a, a real crisis. That's one of the reasons why the suicide rate among kids, tragically, is so much higher than it ever was. Um, and so I think that's what what drives a lot of these ideas. It just catches on. It's like the cool, popular thing now to be not necessarily to be you know to be trans is cool and popular, but the main thing for kids is to you don't be cis, right? To be anything, pick something <laughs> else, gender nonconforming, non-binary, zer, em pronouns, whatever it is. Uh, furry, like just pick something that isn't plain old ordinary regular, you know. Um, and now that that's caught on, there's just no no stopping it, which is why like, you know, if you have to send your kid to public school, I'd recommend don't do it. But if, if you have to, you have to. Um, but there's no excuse, I think, to give an adolescent kid a phone with full internet access so they can just use all day up in their room, who knows what they're looking at. It's just, uh, it's crazy, I think.
0: Yeah, it is a recipe for disaster. Matt, we've seen, you know, a huge amount of growth with young girls and pubescent girls wanting to transition. Now there's been a lot of theories being put about, a lot of people are saying, you know, they're autistic girls who who may feel that way or they're girls who for whatever reason feel desperately uncomfortable in their bodies. What do you think the reason is behind
2: this? Well, I think, um First of all, the, the drive to be girls in general, more relational, you know, they have more friends, they care more about, you know, what people, what their friends think, um, which, which often could be a, a very good thing about, about, about uh, you know, kind of the, that feminine tendency. But, but at the same time, it can also lead to, you know, um, wanting even more to be accepted by their peers. But I think even deeper than that, a lot of this stuff kicks in around puberty, right? And when you're going through puberty, whether you're a boy or a girl, your body is changing in uh, ways that are confusing. And I think that's especially the case for girls. And um, the changes that girls go through during puberty are even more drastic and can be more sort of unsettling for the girl. And so I think, especially at puberty, feeling sort of not at home in your own body, feeling like your body is revolting against you and doing things that you don't want. It's normal to feel that way, even more normal for girls, given what they experience. Um, the difference is that when we were all kids, you went through puberty and you had that kind of awkward phase and it was a phase and all the adults in your life said, oh, it's just a phase, you'll get over it, you'll be fine. This is, you know, All these changes are good and, and you'll grow into yourself and grow into your body and all that kind of stuff. Um, but now... The adults are going around to the kid, the kids, and telling them, "Oh, well, if you feel like you're not at home in your body, then that's because you're not. It's because you actually should have a different body." And here's the other great thing they say to the girls, especially: you could just take a pill, and all these changes you don't want, you you don't have to go through it. You know, puberty is actually something that you have to consent to. Like the, the biology and, and your body doesn't have a right to do this on its own. You have to consent to it. And you could just, here's a little magical button you can press and stop all this.
1: And by the way, here's some testosterone you can take that reduces your anxiety, which is very right. natural in that period. Matt, we could talk to you for a lot longer, but you're a busy guy. We promise to let you go after half an hour. So uh, wrapping up, I'll ask you the question that we always ask all of our guests and it doesn't have to be related to the movie or anything we've talked about today, which is what do you think is the one thing we're not talking about
2: as a society that we really should be? Uh I mean, there's so many things on this on this particular topic, but uh, I'll I'll say one that's that's related to it. that's just on my mind because of something that happened last week, and it's just an issue that's always been important to me. Uh, we, you know, I think we need to talk about um, the pharmaceutical industry in, in general, and and uh, as it relates to mental health. There was this this study that was that just came out last week about antidepressants. Mm-hmm. Um, Revealing that, you know, these antidepressants have been prescribed um, on a theory of depression that was just a myth. And the pharmaceutical industry has profited billions of dollars giving people these drugs that it would seem aren't doing anything for them, really. Um, And that's a whole topic there, you know when we talk about depression, mental illness, the way that we treat it, the way that we think about it, uh, I think we need to go back and reanalyze a lot of that on a real real kind of fundamental level.
0: Matt, it has been an absolute pleasure. If people want to watch a movie, where can they do that?
2: Well, you can go to whatiswoman.com and or just go to dailywire.com, become a member, subscribe and uh, watch the movie and tell all your friends about it.
1: All right. Well, thanks for giving us your time and thank you for watching and listening. We'll see you very soon with another brilliant episode like this one or show. all of them go out at 7pm UK time. And for those of you who like your trigonometry on the go, it's also available
0: as a podcast. Take care and see you soon, guys. Hey, Konstantin,
1: do you love Trigonometry? Of course. Incredible interviews, hilarious live streams, hard hitting satire, plus my handsome jawline. Whatever takes away
0: from your hairline. But if you do love Trigonometry and you want to support us, there's only one place to do that, and that's on Locals.
1: Yes, Locals is a brilliant platform that has been incredibly supportive to our show and other problematic creators.
0: The great thing about Locals is that it's a community for people who love trigonometry.
1: That's right, it's a place for you to hang out with like-minded people, share thoughts, memes, and discuss the show. You can enjoy it for free but it also gives you the option of supporting us for as little as $7 a month. And if you want to give more, you can. We have incredible rewards for our higher tier supporters as well. We've got everything from mugs, monthly group calls, and one-on-two chats with me and KK. Get in. Join our community by hitting the link in the description and the pinned comment below. See you there, guys.